All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Stark and Cope Chicago Sports Show. Uh, I am Dan Stark here with my co-host, Noah Cope. Noah, I think that's probably my best delivery of the name. Yeah, Almost and an energetic hesitation. intro, too. Yeah, not uh, an energetic intro. Good delivery Almost. of the name. There we go. Uh, I had some people over uh, this past weekend, and a number of them told me, like, I was like, what is up with this name until you explained it and started saying it right? And like, okay, now it makes a little bit more sense. I don't know if they were huge fans regardless, but at least <laughs> it started to make sense that the way that it was supposed to be. Um, I also had a number of people, it was, as I mentioned to Noah, in text asking me where Noah was. Why was he not at this party? Uh, I don't think I mentioned this to Noah uh, at the time. Um, I did not want to invite him because I did not want him to feel obligated to have to go. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say I never got the invite, but um, I do appreciate the uh, the lack of obligation. It's always <laughs> there always you go. always nice. But I I will say in terms of the name, I can take criticism on. I'll take criticism over not understanding any day of the week. There you go. Yeah, that's absolutely true. If, if, if it's just being inscrutable. Uh, all right. So we are going to talk uh, Cubs today, uh, more specifically Cubs prospects. Uh, more specifically than that, probably prospects uh, on the Smokies and probably just bats, depending on how long this conversation goes. Uh, but before we get to that, we have a bit of unfished business i don't know if i like that but whatever <laughs> so we'll, we'll we'll workshop that a little bit uh our unfinished what was our theme song though back. again what do we what did we say taking care oh, of it's taking care of business that's right yeah. Yeah. uh yeah we'll have our producer drop that in yes um, our producer yes uh so on our last podcast and by the way uh apologies for not releasing one last week uh it was a little hectic NBA finals stuff going on, you know. And NBA finals. I had a birthday. There was uh, the kids' uh, last days of school. There was just a lot. Uh, we couldn't squeeze it in uh, between the two of our schedules. Um, but on our last podcast, we uh, talked about the Bulls. Uh, a number of uh, my friend listeners um, told me it was clear that I didn't give a shit about the Bulls, which I thought was funny. <laughs> And really does come from a place of just kind of being beat down by the kind of what I see is the hopelessness of this organization, um, which is they're so capped in their ceiling right now um, as a, you know, on the cusp of that play in with whether it's a little bit below or maybe they can sneak into a six seed and avoid the play in. But uh, I think they're comfortably in that six to twelve range, and it's hard to see them. I mean, we talked about it on the on the last pod. It's just the yeah. one. It seems like AK wants to run it back with the current team that they have, which the reason why he wants to do that, I don't know. But two, you have to you'd have to get very creative, even if you wanted to sort of make drastic changes um, to keep the team, you know, relevant. So it was it was just like we feel as Bulls fans, that even if we wanted to sort of get excited and try and figure out a fix for this team, there just aren't a ton of readily available options um, out there for them. So that's sort of ad yeah. 
definitely played into sort of our, our excitement level for for them. Well, and I do think, too, the more I thought about it, and this is what I advocated for on the podcast, too, and I think we you kind of at least somewhat agreed. You know, right now, they have little draft capital. And as part of Unfinished Business, we're going to talk about uh, exactly what they do have because we've misstated a few things, uh, to put it kindly. Um, but realistically, they could accumulate a ton of draft capital if they tore this team down. Between Levine and DeRozan and Caruso, uh, and potentially like a sign and trade for Vooch, they could they could go from being among the uh, I don't know if they're quite the worst unless you're considering that they don't have a pick this year, but beyond that, certainly in the probably lower quart- quartile. Uh, ahead of teams like Atlanta and Minnesota, obviously, but not many more um, in terms of assets to having among the most, if they really did, because I, I do think that they have some guys who don't necessarily mesh all that well together, or whose games aren't all that compatible because they're maybe too duplicative or, you know, DeRozan is, is certainly kind of a, a niche player. Now we got to get him into the right situation. Uh, but at the very least, even shooting. if they don't want to recoup a ton of draft capital, they could also just I I think there's a lot of sort of young talent that you'd consider a, like a player for player being a downgrade. But if they want like like a guy like Anthony Simons has been thrown out there as being available, maybe like Tyrese Maxey and this like these guys who are sort of a step probably as players right now, a step below Levine, step below DeRozan. But if you wanted to just go that route of like here's a team like Philly who's ready to win or a team like Portland. Yeah, reshuffle the deck, basically, not necessarily rebuild. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's probably true. But the point is, but the fact that they're at least publicly saying they're not interested, maybe that's potentially that's a bargaining ploy. Uh, I I don't think it is, but maybe that's the reason. But to hear that, like, no, we're just going to run it back. Like, come on, man. Yeah. For what? Like, especially if, the rumors that they think ball might be done are true. Then it's like, there's no point in doing this. So I think I would say, let's clear the decks, resign Kobe white, assuming that they can get him at like a, a reasonable number, which I think that they can. Let uh, Patrick, Patrick Williams keep, keep shoot Patrick 20 Williams. times a game. What? Yeah, Let him Patrick shoot 20 Williams times around. a game. Yeah. And just see what happens. Um, but uh, speaking of those draft picks, so Noah, what did you say that you felt like uh, you had gotten wrong or at least we were not clear about? Yeah, so the last time we were talking about the fact that the Vooch trade was over, um, those two picks had conveyed, which meant we knew the Spurs pick was going to convey in 2025. We j- or was, was yeah, now the earliest eligible. our pick could convey to the Spurs right. was 2025. Yeah. And so we wanted to figure out what, the protections on that were what, how, how that was going to um, end up playing out. And for whatever reason, it, we weren't, it, it, it's not like any, I, for whatever reason, when I tried to Google this, it was not like an easy thing to find. I'm like on prospecttransactions.com having to search up where I, right, what, what the protections on this, on this trade were. Um, but the, in the DeMar DeRozan trade, the Bulls gave up a protected first round pick, which, is top 10 protected in 2025. This next 2026 and 2027, it would be top eight protected. 
And if it doesn't convey in either of those two years, in 2028, it just becomes a second-round pick, which I know yes, you're the, laughing at the in our last spot. Yeah, the inexplicable, like, why would you accept these conditions? This makes no sense. It should become less and less protected over time, especially if we're going that far down the road. It's like the, the present-day value of a even top-four protected pick in 2029 is minimal. Like, it's crazy that there's be like, oh, okay, yeah, after I've waited for, I know I said that, I think I might have said this exact thing. I've waited forever for this first round pick, and now I'm just going to accept whatever second round pick you you have. It's insane. Also, it's, all right. Is that a relatively new thing, too? That's like not, I, it had never, yeah, it was all when I, well, when you were young, as I can remember, it was always round picks like candy. No one cares. It was always the protection got less and less. First, it was lottery protected, then it was top. 12 or top 10 protected then top eight then top six then top four then top two right and then finally it became an unprotected pick that was usually how it worked if it even went out that long i mean that's like an extreme example of them really reducing slowly sometimes it reduced more quickly than that but that was usually how it worked so that pretty much always you would well not even pretty much you would always end up getting a first rounder uh, for us, we wouldn't suddenly just take a second. Oh, we give up. We're not going to wait any longer. So we'll just take your shitty pick. It's ridiculous. All right. Well, speaking of second rounders, uh, I think I said I was being uh, maybe a little glib. And I said, yeah, hey, I don't think they have a second rounder until 2029. I think I said the reality is they lost the second rounder because of the ball thing. And they had trade. They had acquired. That was in a trade. That one was when they had acquired from the Nuggets. They had already traded their own uh, second-round pick to Washington. You mean they acquired was, one in, with the tampering or with the actual acquisition? Are they they so they, the, the one that, okay? So they they had they had their own pick. Or obviously, at one time they had their own pick, and they had acquired the Nuggets' second-round pick. Okay. Um, I don't know what deal that was in, if that was like a remnant of the McDermott trade from long ago. Could that have been from, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it might be some other small deal that I'm just not remembering, but whatever it is they had got the Nuggets, they had the Nuggets second round pick because they had already traded their own pick to Washington, which I'm wondering was part of. Either maybe the Otto Porter, yeah, the Otto Porter or the Daniel Gafford one, right? Those were two separate things, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think those are two. I think those are back to back years. They did those those deals. I'm remembering right, but whatever. Washington has their second round pick, the one from Nuggets, forfeited because of the supposed tampering with Lonzo Ball, which means the Lonzo Ball thing keeps getting better and better. Again. I like the move. I still, you know, that was the risk. I I think that that was, it happened to be a risk worth taking. Uh, It doesn't seem like it's worked out, obviously. Uh, Their 2024 second round pick goes to New Orleans. And their 2025 second round pick goes to San Antonio, presumably also in the DeRozan deal. Yeah. Yeah. from but starting in 2026, assuming the San Antonio pick or the pick to San Antonio has conveyed, uh, they have all of their own picks. All right, 
so uh, I think that's enough unfinished business. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, Cubs prospects. Noah, if, when we were uh, talking before we started recording, Noah mentioned something that I hadn't really thought of uh, in terms of my affinity for following prospects. And, and actually, no, I think it maybe predates this. Um, the first time I remember really getting pissed about um, the Cubs trading away a prospect, well, there were two that were like right around the same time was Eric Hinsky. Do you even know who that is? Have you ever heard that name before, Noah? Yeah, it was did he end up being a first or third base coach for the Cubs at one point? Oh, did or, he come back and was he a base a, coach? Or some kind of coach, I think. That's I think how I know the name. I can say uh, so Eric Hinsky was a guy, he was a third baseman in their system. They also had a guy name who was in their system named Dave Kelton who they liked more than Hinsky and they traded Hinsky away uh even though uh oh yeah let's yeah there's a picture of him in a Mets or in a Cubs uh uniform as an older yeah I think person, he so. was yeah I think I think he was on that coach on that one of the <clears throat> World Series teams let's find out though anyways go ahead uh, but the Cubs traded him away, uh, and then was he rookie of the year for Toronto? Uh, his rookie year in 150 games, he had 38 doubles, 24 homers, 13 stolen bases while only getting caught once, walked 77 times. Uh, put it now, this is 2002, so those are like pretty somewhat mundane numbers, not what they would be uh, today, but still good for an OPS of 119. Uh, OPS plus, excuse me, of 119, which means basically 19%, not even basically, it means assistant hitting coach better. for the Cubs. That's what he was yes. or is now. That's what he was the for Mets the Cubs. Now. Okay. Yeah. And it says, this says he's famous for making World Series in three straight years with three different teams. There you go. Uh, he ended up hitting eh, 137 career homers, 240 doubles. Uh, I was very pissed when they traded Eric Kinsky because I liked him more than uh, this guy, Dave Kelton, who didn't end up doing anything. Um, the other guy that I was a big fan of was uh, Dontrell. Uh, and Dontrell was had electric numbers in the low minors. Uh, the Cubs traded him as I think it was part of the Matt Clement Antonio Alfonseca deal. If I'm remembering this right. Um, but anyway, so I was already into the prospect thing. I think I really started following it around when I got the internet. It became so much easier to know uh, these prospects, which would have been in the late 90s-ish uh, when I really kind of started getting into it. But Noah mentioned I was in this fantasy league for a long time where we would draft three minor league guys every year. Uh, this is the I, NL keeper league, right? It was an NL. Yeah, it was NL only. 
and it was a keeper league and you draft three three guys every year and then you could protect them and lose that pick you know whatever round you had drafted them in it was a three round minor league draft uh you could protect them uh and then obviously forfeit that pick in the year that they were protected or you could if you could drop them and then once they got called up you could protect them as one of your just like your regular protectees uh that you would get um in my minor league draft i think i had one of the better hit rates uh you call it a farm system is that how that would work we called them milers uh minor leaguers uh it was very creative um (laughs) So yeah, I was it. I I was a little, probably a little more dialed in uh, to the prospect scene at an earlier time uh, than most. Um, so has it not always three... just been a tradition to like Cubs have a month like this, and you sort of go naturally gravitate over to the prospects and what's going on in the minors? Has that not always sort of been a thing? Because I feel like. For as long as I've been a fan, that's kind of been the trend. Is when the, once the team gets shitty, you sort of see what's going on in the minors. Yeah. Just sort of focus on that more and more. Yeah, and I think that probably when Theo came over, that's when it really switched over and people really started paying attention to what they had right. in the farm. And then, you know, you get people talking. Oh, what was that kid's name? they'll be like you know they'll be kind of downplaying a prospect and they'll be like oh well we heard the same thing about x and it's like look Corey patterson and felix pa were very highly regarded prospects pretty much in the prospect community um but a lot of the other kind of supposed top cubs prospects were not that highly regarded um and i think that we sometimes the maybe the more casual fan makes the mistake of lumping them all together as disappointments when you kind of look at who that is i think that's dropped a little bit because of the hit rate that they did have uh with that 2016 team and i know not all came up that year but just you know between javi and brian and schwarber and russell uh but like for instance let's uh, Crow Armstrong. I've heard fans say, oh, well, Albert Amora, he's the next Almora. And look, Albert Amora is like year 10 in the major leagues. That's not really the worst outcome for a guy that's a, a prospect. But Crow Armstrong is way more highly regarded nationally than Albert Amora ever was. I don't, by the time Albert Almora came up, he was nowhere near a top 100 prospect. I think he had briefly been on the, the fringes of the top 100 early in his career. Um, so I, I, I think you have to look at these prospects. You have to hope that some of them can uh, end up being stars and that the rest of them can be solid regulars. I mean, not the rest of them, but enough of them that you can kind of get a team. Now, Noah, what is your thought just uh, as someone who maybe doesn't follow it quite as religiously as I do? What are you thinking about the system and, and what's happening now? Yeah, so I think the consensus has been in terms of just what I've read and what I've seen put out there is that Armstrong is the clear-cut number one. Um, 
I think I've seen him rate like in the top 20 of most prospect pools and then for prospect rankings. And then beyond that, it's a lot of guys from anywhere between like, you know, 80 to like 250. And so they've got like a good collection of, of depth in their, in their um, prospect pool, but there isn't anyone that's you're looking to as like, this is going to be the centerpiece of of a lineup and a guy that's going to carry you like the guy, the kid that just came up for the reds, like Ellie Dela Cruz, I think is his name. Yeah. You watch that kid and you're like, Holy fucking cow. As fast as anyone can hit the ball as far as anyone. Like that's a guy that you look at and you're like, that guy is going to be able to carry the team. It can be the centerpiece of a team for a long, long time. It seems like the Cubs have a lot of nice players and a lot of guys that can help contribute to a winning ball club, but not a guy like that who's going to be the centerpiece of your team, um, which also makes you think what a, a route they could potentially go is we're going to package a couple of these guys up and use that as a way, you know, in different trades as a way. Once we feel like we're sort of nearing that competitive window, we put a nice roster together. Let's let's use some of these guys and make different trades to sort of round that out potentially. And sort of how I've been viewing um, the prospect pool as- outside of of Pete. Uh, Crow Armstrong and and maybe Alcantara as well. Yeah, and I think that's somewhat fair. I think the one thing that I would say is that Pete Crow Armstrong has the ceiling of a true superstar. Um, you got to remember he has the highest ceiling uh, in their in their system. He also has the highest floor. Because he, the defense is unbelievably good. And let's look. So I saw, I went to, I think I went to probably five, six, maybe seven, possibly. I'm trying to think. I saw him in two different road games. Yeah, maybe six or seven uh, South Bend games last year. Uh, and I have been, uh, Pete Armstrong has been on my radar for a very long time. Um, and so I, I got to see a lot of these guys play and Pete Armstrong is without a doubt, one of the best defensive center fielders in the world right now. Uh, and if you look his, he's really kind of putting it together with the bat uh, in the last several weeks. Um, probably the, for me, the most positive development is just that he started taking walks again, which was always uh, a part of his game um, when on when he was doing the Team USA circuit in high school and even uh, in spring training with the Mets. Um, his brief stint with the Mets and the Myers before he got hurt. And you got to remember, this guy lost basically two years of playing baseball, which a lot of these kids did, or at least lost the year for COVID. That you know they didn't come in. In a typical draft year, you sign and you end up getting 150, 200 at bats in a complex league, uh, or when they had more than just that. Um, and then the next year you go and you start in like low A or whatever out of high school, or if you're a high school guy. He did not get those complex league because the 2020 season was canceled. 
Um, and then he got hurt six games into what should have been his first year. So he even now is only at like, I don't know, 600, maybe 700 plate appearances in the minors. Uh, still kind of figuring it out, uh, figuring out kind of who he is and, and what his identity is going to be. Um, and he has the potential right now his translated numbers on fan graphs um, put him as basically a two war player right now, if they called him up. So I want to make, I want to make sort of like a comparison and you can tell me if it's fair or not. Okay. But the the reason I was talking, like talking about sort of the prospect pool and the way it was, let's say, I mean, the defense everyone knows is, is otherworldly. You on Twitter, I, you know, every once in a while, you a video pop up of him just making catch that I've really never seen before. I've seen very few people ever make. Um, but offensively, let's say that he turns out to be like a Trey Turner type bat, and you could maybe that's fair, maybe that's unfair. That's sort of like when I look at his numbers, when I look at like what, what Turner's done, you know, a, a, a batting average around 300 can set the table for lineup, can steal bases. And Trey Turner is a superstar. Like he is an all, he just signed a $300 million contract, but you need that Juan Soto in the lineup. If you're going to win the world series as a nationals, that's sort of the point I was making. Yeah. But as you've, as you've seen with Juan Soto, when it was just Juan Soto, you need a Trey Turner in the lineup too. Like that's how these things work. You have to, Juan Soto alone doesn't carry you to a World Series any more than Trey Turner does. Yeah, but Juan Soto is the guy who's who's sort of the, the centerpiece of that lineup. Yeah, my point is, though, that you need centerpiece. It doesn't matter, like, kind of where they fall. And look, Juan Soto, uh, I know the last two years haven't been so great, but, like, was a historically good young player in the majors. If you look at what his, like, uh, WRC plus was through his first, you know, through his age, like 19 and 20 and maybe even 21. I don't even know how old he is now, but like his first three seasons, it's like, he's on a list with Ted Williams. Right, my, pretty much the, just that. So the, the Tim Anderson's, the, the Trey Turner's are incredibly valuable players. The guys who are the more valuable players, I think are, are the, the, the Machados, like the, 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 so these guys who are going to stay in the middle of the lineup, hit 40 home runs, walk a ton, still have a relatively high uh, average. Like those are the guys to me that are, are as valuable as, as it gets. Yeah. I, I do think ironically, cause you're younger than me, that's a somewhat antiquated view of the way baseball works, because I, I think over his career and look, Trey Turner came in as a much older player than Juan Soto and everything else. Um, but there's value. You're, you're massively discounting the value of defense. Um, and that's a mistake. O- offensively speaking, is Juan Soto superior to Trey Turner? Yeah, but it's probably even that is probably a little closer than you think because uh, Trey Turner is because of his speed and what he does on the bases. Um, well, that aside, do I you will think say that's that, a fair a fair comparison for Pete in, offensively. Um, it's probably fair i know turner i think that pete has the potential to hit for a lot more power 
I think Turner has started to hit for more power the last couple of years, right? Yeah, I think he had like a 28 home run season is sort of where he maxed out. Yeah. Um, I do. I will say Pete is a superb uh, base runner, and he's a fast guy. I don't think he's Trey Turner fast. Okay. Um, I would say that, that I think probably more power uh, potentially – little less speed i think he has the potential to be a little more selective than trey turner i don't think trey turner has ever been like a huge walks guy hasn't really mattered because he like you said he pretty much posts uh 300 batting averages and has that probably the obp in that 360 range is my guess i'm going to try to quickly look it up because i hadn't considered what was for pca what have you had what was your your sort of comp, right? Have you not even thought of sort of what what that would I, be? I think you? that his ceiling is um Jim Edmonds with stolen bases. Um which is an insanely valuable player. Uh and in terms think- of today's players, do you have a comp? <laughs> for people who don't know who Jim Edmonds is. Yes. Um Yeah, let me think. Um It's hard because it's hard to find I think that bat-wise McCutcheon is probably like a prime McCutcheon is probably a decent one, but he's so much better defensively. And that's the whole thing is that like most Corbin of Carroll, guy, I'm looking at what Corbin Carroll is doing right now. Yeah, he, I mean I that was the that was actually the guy that popped into my head. I I think that's probably uh pretty close, but isn't Carroll playing left now? Yeah, and also he's as fast as anyone I've ever he's seen. He's not and he's not as fast. Right. That's the other thing is that's why I didn't say him is because I think the Corbin Carroll's like straight line speed is better. Um and look I don't want to make it seem like there's I think that uh, uh, Pete Armstrong is a, I think he's like a 60 grade runner, which is, you know, 40 uh, is, I guess what, 50 is average, right? Uh, 40 is kind of replacement level, I think. Um, a 60 grade runner is good and plenty good uh, to be a great defensive center fielder, especially when you take angles and um, have the jumps that he gets. I mean, the guy is, that's the crazy thing to me about him is that it's like, like there's coaches being like, this is already the best center fielder. Like I've ever seen. It could be the best center fielder like ever. Like there, those quotes are, are floating out there about this guy, which to me is, is, is sort of the craziest thing about the whole thing is we're not even talking about his bat and what, and what it could be. And he's already providing an insane amount of value just defensively. Yes. And there's no doubt that if they were contending, um, he would be a late season call up because, and I think I even think that they might be doing that anyway. I've noticed that he's playing, uh, he's gotten some reps in left and right lately, and there's no reason to be doing that when the guy's clearly a center fielder, unless you have an eye on him having a role with the major league team where he's a late inning defensive replacement, uh. Or just like, you know, spotting guys until you can kind of get them regular at bats or whatever it looks like. Or someone someone goes down uh, on your major league team and you uh, 
bring him up. So you just want to make sure that he's comfortable in all of those positions. Um, But there is no doubt that this guy is a center fielder and they could stick him out there uh, for the next 10 years. And even if his bat doesn't get any better than it's been to this point, um, Fangraphs has him right now as a, I think a 92 uh, WRC plus, which as we mentioned on previous, a hundred is below league, average, slightly below average. Yeah. A hundred is league average and a slightly below average bat with his base running. And I say base running because I think that's where he is really good. Um, he might not, I do think he could steal 30 bases, certainly in a year, maybe even more, like depending on the, on the, but what he's really good at is, Going first, first to third, third right. first to home, right. turning doubles into triples. Um, he is he just he runs just like he does in the outfield. He runs very efficiently around those bases and just knows how to do it. The kid just has unbelievable, unbelievable baseball instincts. Um, and again, you know, the Cubs talked up Albert Almora's defense. But other organizations, he was not as highly regarded by scouts all across baseball for his defense. That was his reputation coming into the draft, but it had not played out uh, that way. And again, by most every measure, except for insanely high Cubs fan expectations, for a first round draft pick, Albert Amora has been plenty good. Right. He's, yeah, he's had a nice, out, a nice major league career and nice, has a role for himself. Uh, right. He's uh, carved out a, a, a nice little career. Now, that's not all that fulfilling um, as a fan. But uh, PCA's floor is higher than the career that Albert Almora has had. All right. So that's sort of the guy that I think most Cubs fans know. I think also just PCA is just like. For whatever reason, that's like sort of been like stuck is just a cool. It's not really a nickname, but just like people have liked PCA as sort of, um, and so that's yeah, the guy that I think yeah. right. It's just a fun whatever, and that's the guy that I think a lot of people um, have obviously known about because of the highlights, because of of where he's rated. Who else from that team do you think should Cubs fans know about, and someone that you could see making an actual difference um, at the major league level? Well, I think the 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 next highest ceiling bat wise, I think is Owen Casey, and I think that most fans uh, know who Owen Casey is. Uh, he came over in the U uh, Darvish deal, um, was a second round pick. Uh, he's from Canada, so like didn't played in the World Baseball Classic. Which I think Played got him world. a little more notoriety. Yeah, hit a homer in a game. Yep. Uh, at least I, maybe he hit more than one, but I know for a fact he hit one. Um, you know, in those Canadian pro, it's tough. Like Owen Casey probably played fewer games as a youth than Pete Cromstrong played in most years. Yeah, their whole high school system I know is is like it's totally different than than in the U.S. Well, and also like you compare, it's a cold weather place. Like, the, you know, even in the U S 
one of the reasons Mike Trout fell to 20 or wherever the hell he was picked. Um, I think it's in the twenties even uh, was because he was from New Jersey. Right. Or, yeah, but yeah, I'm New pretty Jersey. sure Canada and I could be completely making this up, but I, and I'll search it up in a cycle, but I'm pretty sure they don't, they don't do like, like they don't have high school teams. It's all just club stuff. Oh, is that the case? Well, I, I read, I read somewhere that he had, that Casey had not played a night game until he got to the minor leagues. He had never played baseball at night uh, until he got to the minor leagues. So, not in nearly the same place um, rep-wise, but uh, he can hit. He's got a lot of power. He has... I think he walks a lot, too. He's walked a decent amount. Um, he has elite exit velocities. Like, I, I believe he's in the... In all of baseball right including the majors he's at least i think in like the 95th percentile with exit velocity um i've only seen these numbers secondhand i don't know where people pull these numbers but if you uh if you google owen casey exit velocity you'll find a lot of positive talk um about him and those exit velocities i think the biggest question it's like a high strikeout rate is just from what is I the, his, 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 his strikeout rate is very high Okay. Um, and it it has come down a little bit uh, in the last as the season has gone on. It's it's funny because early on his numbers were like off the charts, um, but it was clearly unsustainable because he was like striking out in like in the very early going. I think he was striking out like in sixty percent of his at bats, which obviously. Uh, does not scream uh, future major leaguer. But again, you also have to take into account where this kid is coming from. And he's even a little bit younger than, than uh, PCA is like four months, uh, three plus months uh, younger. He does have, he has gotten the strikeouts down, but he still struck out 77 times in 217 uh, plate appearances year to date, which was what that's like a 35 ish percent strikeout rate. Um, it's tough to succeed in the major leagues uh, when you're striking out 35% of the time in double a. Now I mentioned this already. He's basically like three years younger, two plus for sure years younger than the average player in double a. So you, what you really want to see over the course of, uh, this year, because he, like you said, he is running up like a 13, you know, 12 plus percent walk rate. What you really want to see as the year goes on is see those strikeout numbers come down. Because I, I think that's the biggest question mark. And that's the reason why you don't see Casey on many of the top 100 lists. I think he's crept up onto some, uh, but I think most most evaluators still have him outside. And I think it's two things. It's the strikeouts and the question mark about, can he stay in the outfield? And I was about to ask. So defensively, is he just a corner guy right now? Um, You know, I was, I will say that I, I know we've talked before and I've been, that's definitely been a concern. Like, can he stay 
even in right field, or is he uh, going to have to be moved to first base? Um, I'm definitely, I have my concerns about his ability to stay in right field, but I also have read a lot of stuff about how they're, they've been really working on him with the speed and he's still a kid. I mean, who knows? Um, but I definitely, that's another reason why that perhaps, uh, some people aren't as, um, high on him is maybe you would think based on his numbers, you know, even with all the things that we mentioned, um, he's got a, like a 850 plus, um, OPS right now. Right. And for some reason I navigated away. Uh, at one time it was well over 967. Eight, he's at 867, right? Which is it? Pete, I think, coming in today was like at 877. Um, and granted, that, that you know that makes a huge deal when you're a elite defensive center fielder versus a right fielder. But I do think that Owen, if he can get some of the contact stuff straightened out, and again, just the level of competition this kid has faced has not been nearly as high. Obviously, he had uh, he's had. I think even maybe more minor league at bats than, than Pete has, but he's still, you know, kind of getting used to is that they were very aggressive with him. So that's what I was going to ask is why do you think that he is in, in double a so quickly, given the lack of experience? I, I am curious, like for all, all signs point to him. It's seeming like them sort of taking a slower approach with him, given, given everything you've said. So it is surprising yeah, to I, me that, that he is there right now. Actually. I think because he, that first year he just tore up the um complex league and then i think last year they were just they just decided to be aggressive with him and i think part of it might have been a numbers game uh you know they were they're looking at how many guys can we play in the outfield at myrtle oh, Beach? just just in terms they, of opportunity i got you they, yeah, they had, they had got Alcantara uh, down there, you know, right? And they had uh, Pete was down there, and they kind of, I think they thought they knew that there was. I look, everyone said that there was an aggressive um, assignment uh, for him, and he did struggle uh, in the beginning of the year last year with South Bend, and you know he it was kind of similar to what he did. Uh, at the beginning of this year in Tennessee, except for he's had better batted ball luck, right? And more of his fly balls turned into homers at Tennessee, but it was kind of the same thing. And then over the course of the year, he clearly figured it out um, so that by the end of last season, like his overall numbers uh, were certainly, we had like a, 254 349 i don't know what his slugging was because for whatever reason my computer is not cooperating and will not so let me scroll a, over a couple questions on him there then. we go one yeah. let's let's get a comp for him too and then two do oh you boy do you think okay, that he actually ends up on in the majors with the cubs at some point and is you know part of a a core that's that's getting this team at, uh to the playoffs and, and contending Oh man, I, I had God, I don't know if I'm going to be able to come up with a comp. Maybe you can maybe you can help me think of someone. He is just a big framed 
kid. I mean, is he is he similar to Matt Mervis right now? Like, is that at all fair for him? Um, sort of a, a three outcomes kind of guy. Uh, I actually think he's got a higher ceiling than Mervis just because of the age difference. Okay. Um, but I also don't think Mervis is like two hundred and thirty pounds, right? Yeah, he's a big kid. Yeah. Casey has a big frame, but he's not super thick, at least not yet. It looks like he's it looks like he's got the potential to be uh much bigger. Six three, one ninety Mervis. Yeah, I'm guessing he's already probably more more like two hundred is my guess. But maybe not. Um he I think he looks taller than six three. I'm not saying that that means he is. I just think the way his body is, he yeah, looks very skinnier tall. Sorta, yeah. Yeah. When you see him out there, he looks very tall. Um I have a brother like that. <laughs> uh God, who can I think of that is that is comparable? I mean it's gotta be a lefty. With some power, but with some contact issues. Let me well, let me just see. How big to me, uh, just the way you talk about it, it seems like it it is going to be like a sort of a fifty fifty. If if this kid is is uh, is on the the Cubs at some point and is contributing to them winning, because it it's a ma- if if you're striking out that much, he's young. But if you're striking out that much, you're he's he's not going to make it. If he can get under control. He's going to make it. So it seems to me like there's no, like it, it is sort of just dependent on that, on that one thing right now. Yeah. I think it's hard to know because with, with so much, I would be shocked if he doesn't make it to the major leagues. I mean, that's, I, I will say that. Um, I think if I were to, to choose, I would say, yeah, he does become a starter. Uh, for Even the if he Cubs. can't crack it in the outfield because it's there. Those first basemen who are hitting, you know, 260, getting on at like a 340 clip are going to get like 25 home runs. Like there are a lot of those kinds. It's not hard to find those kinds of guys, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem, but it's it's not hard to find those guys. The bat has to be truly elite if you are going to be uh, a first baseman as a young player. Uh, There's no doubt about that. But I do think that his bat has the potential to be elite, and mo- it's just it's this is projection, right? It's yeah. it's saying that this kid does comes from a place where he did not have the level of competition. He's already holding his own and doing some doing some things that, and I, I do think that baseball has become more tolerant of strikeouts overall. So I don't think that that alone, it's not going to be like Adam Dunn where it's, they basically, he basically becomes unplayable because of the strikeouts. I mean, that, look, that can happen. I shouldn't say it in that way, but I think as baseball has evolved, there's less of a stigma around the strikeouts than there used to be. Yeah, And so I think that will allow for a little more tolerance as he's making his way and maybe a little bit of a wider berth than they would have given a prospect 15 or 20 years ago. 
All right. So moving on from Casey, um, yeah. is there anyone else who's sort of in that double A team under the radar that you wanna you wanna point out that you think deserves a shout here? Yeah, there's two guys that I really like uh, down in Tennessee that I that I want to talk about. Um, the first is uh, B.J. Murray. Um, uh, I'm seeing him right now. Just for some context, MLB they don't update you know that often, but MLB does. You know they have their top thirty Cubs prospects, and he's number thirty. Yeah. Um, and I am not quite sure why that is. Um, I he wasn't super heralded. What does it say? Do you, are you on his uh, his bio? Yeah, are you on his bio? Yeah, a native Where, of Bahamas. Yeah, he played. He was also in the World Baseball Classic. Apparently, I didn't know that. Switch hitter. Uh, yeah, he's. What was he drafted? He was a 15th round pick in 2021. So the year after uh, PCA uh, came in, but he's two years older because he was a college. He was a college kid. Born in 2000, yeah. Yeah, he's he's two years older. But um, I know, uh, for one, that uh, Pete Armstrong has said that this is the guy that he – that the team just um, really respects his ability as a hitter and just a great, complete hitter. Um, he's got a – it's like he walks a good amount, doesn't he? He's got a 14.6% walk rate against a 24.2% K rate. Um, right now, his ISO is at 219. and uh, ISO is your slugging percentage minus your batting average. Uh, his triple slash is 269, 383, 488 uh, for a WRC plus of 139. So basically yeah, minor almost, league on base percentage is 395. Yeah. So he um, no granted he's unlike Owen and Pete. Uh, he has not been young for his league. He's basically about he's been the last couple of years. He's been basically the league average um, age. Uh, but again, he's league average age and he's posting 40 percent. Uh, roughly 40% above the league average. And this is not a one-year blip. Um, he started last year in Myrtle Beach, uh, posted a 305, 441, 461, a triple slash line with a 16.1% walk rate, 19.3% K rate, uh, went up to um, South Bend, and same 16.1% walk rate. K's went up a little bit to 20.5. Uh, I'm ISO honestly surprised. Down. I've never heard about this yet before. Yeah, I don't. And I think that, all right. So I, and look, I saw him play last year uh, a handful of times. Um, not really enough to make judgments about his defense. I think there are questions about can he stay at third? Um, but I have no doubt that this is a major league bat. And the one guy, even though the profiles aren't really the same, um, but the the, pro, the Cubs prospect that I'm thinking of 
uh, is DJ LeMayhew. That like, is that even how the guy, I don't know, is that how he pronounces it? Yeah, uh, DJ LeMayhew. Yeah, that um, a guy that was not highly Tremendous regarded. career. Awesome, awesome career. Right, that, that, not highly regarded. They traded him out of the system. Now, DJ LeMayhew never walked anywhere near what BJ Murray is walking, but just in terms of like being a professional hitter, um, I can see the same kinds of kind of thing with Murray, where it's like this guy just he just hits wherever he goes, um, and it, not thought of for whatever reason. Is the knock on him the lack of power? I think that's one of the questions. But he hits from what I remember. I mean, he's got some gap power. I mean, this year he only he's got seven homers and seventeen doubles and there is you know they're experimenting with this tack tacky ball in the southern league this year which is providing the pitchers with a ton more movement gotcha. uh, on their ball so that and i don't really know it seems like a lot of the the guys in um in tennessee are really hitting well uh so i don't know what the park factors are but wrc plus is supposed to filter all that stuff out um but he's hitting the ball despite potentially like this kind of added disadvantage of facing these guys uh i don't really understand why he's still uh flying under the radar but he is um and i get you know like he's not the youngest guy he's already 23 uh but he's another guy that i would be shocked if uh he doesn't end up having a, a pretty nice career uh as what about, a major i know you just brought up Lemayu, but what about ben zobrist as an offensive comp uh yeah and that's so hard because zobrist had so much value it's just hard to just tease out the offense because so much of zobrist value was tied yeah, in so they could play could anywhere play. but that's a guy who's hitting for a high average wasn't gonna you know slug a ton but was gonna walk take his bases, get on base and, and, you know, hit the ball to all fields and, and was just a, a good at that every time he was at the plate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm realizing from this conversation that I'm shitty with comps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, all right. And then the other guy that I wanted to talk about uh, is Pablo Aliendo. Uh this is a 22-year-old catcher, actually just turned 22 uh, in late May. Let me pull up this bio here. Yeah, he there is there is almost nothing about him anywhere. Signed uh, signed with the Cubs in 2018, two hundred thousand dollars out of Venezuela. Um, trying to he see. He did not crack the previous at least on fan graphs he did not crack the cubs top 49 prospects mlb uh, has him in, at 29 who does mlb.com mlb has him at 29. 29 yeah so this was last fan graphs hasn't given their this year update for last year's he did not crack the cubs essentially top 50 um yeah this is a catcher who i really so I do have the what's it called first pitch, which is like the Emma the minor league um, 
watch you can watch the games uh, on first pitch the minor it's like the minor league app so i watched a lot of uh i haven't really gotten into it as much this year but i watched a lot of south bend games and like i said i went to some south bend games last year um and this is a guy who really came on at the end of last year um and put him on my radar and he actually started this year um behind uh miguel amaya in they were both in tennessee and he was getting pretty limited at bats but doing a ton with them uh when given the opportunity and then obviously eventually miguel amaya got moved up to i don't even know if he went triple a first and the majors i think they i think they pulled him right from double a to the majors and then put him back into triple a when he went back down but I might yeah, have that wrong, but, but he's whatever. back up, I think, now. Okay, but whatever. He, now, um, Eliendo's become their uh, regular catcher. He uh, has – his power has really come on. Um, in 144 at-bats, or plate appearances even – he has 12 doubles and eight homers. So he's got 20 extra base hits in 144 uh, plate appearances, which is a very good rate. That gives him an ISO of 288. Uh, he's got a 10.4% walk rate, um, which is higher this, this year than it had been in his previous years. He's, he's not coming out of nowhere. He's been in the system since 2018 as a 17-year-old. Uh, his strikeouts have spiked up a little bit and again i think because of that and i didn't even mention this during owen's part but i think because of that tacky ball that they're experimenting with in the southern league i think we gotta be cognizant of the fact that maybe these strikeout rates are artificial somewhat artificially high um his strikeout rates at 28.5 percent which is certainly more than you'd like but not crazy egregious um so he's got a 272, 352, 560 uh, slash line, good for a WRC plus of 143. And I don't know, because there's so little about him online, and you know, I'm not that observant with catcher defense, uh, I don't know what his defense looks like. But if you got a catcher who can put up a 143 WRC plus, uh, you're in pretty good shape. Um, regardless of what that defense, that, that defense, uh, defensively, the bio, I don't know how much you want to read into the MLB.com bio, but it says Aliendo is quicker and more agile than most catchers. He's very flexible, has soft hands and should develop into a plus receiver and blocker. Once he's a finished product, he also has a solid arm strength and earns praise for his game calling and leadership ability. Yes. And I've heard he is a very good, uh, very good guy, uh, good teammate um just someone you want out there uh again i i do think that um he is a future major leaguer um we'll see exactly what that means but i, I think between him and murray there are two guys down there that nobody's really talking about that i think have real futures so just to put sort of a bow on the you know the prospect pool as a whole what what are your expectations for, for this, you know, current group of guys? Um, what path do you think they have in terms of you look at obviously that super special core that came together in 2016. 
what is this team topping out as, you know, maybe uh, an NL championship appearance? Like what, what sort of are your expectations for, for this specific group? Um, and how much do you think they have to actually add to the, the current group in free agency and elsewhere if they want to they wanna get to where they want, you know, obviously want to go and, and start competing for, for championships again? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is it's funny that they're, the profile with the bats is less balanced than it was then, where it was like, all right, you got Brian to play third. You got Contreras as your catcher. You got Schwarber uh, in the outfield. And at the time, you got uh, Soler in the outfield. You got two middle infielders in Baez and Russell. You're going to kind of have to sort that out. And you could kind of see where each guy went. Um, there is much more of a glut with this collection of bats in the outfield. Um, and so you got PCA, who is a no doubt center fielder. Then you have. Uh, Kevin Alcantara, who is a center fielder, but is probably going to be pushed to right, even though he might be able to stay in center um, if they didn't have uh, PCA. Um, so he looks like he's probably going to, you know, be pushed to right. You still have Brendan Davis, who it hasn't really kind of gotten super high yet. I haven't looked at his numbers in the last couple of weeks, but he was still struggling a little bit. Um, but I think they're still hopeful. What's that? So just arrow is I've from what I've seen, arrow is generally pointing down on him right now. Yeah, I mean, but he had a like he had a pretty severe injury. I think you gotta, you know, give the guy some but anyway, so you got him, you got Casey, they got a lot of outfielders. Um, so I don't know what's gonna happen there. Um, I think that hopefully they they have between Amaya and Aliendo, you got your catcher of the future. You can move one of these outfielders to first base or make some trades, balance it out and get, you know, right now the the two longest term guys they have, I think, are Swanson and Nico, right? Or maybe I don't know how what happens. Saya? No, because Saya's only got three more years after this. Right? right. It was a five year deal, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot that this is already year three for him. No, year two. All right, so he's got oh three more years after this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, the, so they don't really have to worry about a second baseman or a shortstop, which is good because I don't know if they have one. Although maybe uh, Triantos, who is in South Bend, I don't know if I'm pronouncing. it. Also drafted Ed Howard in the first round, right? Isn't he a shortstop? They, he, they did, yeah, and he's still. Uh, just super young. He's just now coming back from that hip injury, which I understand was pretty brutal. I don't think it was, I don't think it was exactly what Bo Jackson had, but I, I think it was a, a pretty severe um, injury. So we'll see what happens there. Um, but between uh, James Triantos and Murray, I think you got a third baseman. Uh, at least that's what they're looking at. And I don't, and I don't know what the biggest difference which we didn't talk about at all is the arms. Um, you mentioned Ben Brown. Uh, I think when we, before we started recording, uh, you got um, uh, Kate Jordan Horton. Wicks. Uh, you got Kate Horton. You got the kid. Oh, what the hell is his name? The, the second rounder um, that they signed for above slot when they got 
uh, Horton. Uh, is it Jackson Ferris? Is that the right name? Jackson Ferris is a left-handed pitcher, yeah, for them. Yeah. Uh, you have Jackson Ferris as well. So you got, I mean, potentially you have the makings. Uh, Jackson Ferris, look, he's only played six games in a ball. Um, but he's On averaging... top of the fact that you have a couple guys in the bigs, in steel, and I mean, obviously, with Snesky is, is definitely struggling now, but those are also two young arms that are recent graduates of, of the system. That at least steel has been super, super promising. Yes. Uh, and are you looking at that top uh, prospect? You saw that top 30. Yeah. And then will be pulled up. So do they have Wicks is the number one pitcher? Who do they have as their Horton. highest? Kate Hortons is number two prospect overall and the the top pitching prospect. Um, Wicks is four overall and the second highest. And then Brown is six overall. But what's interesting is that when when you go to the top 100. Oh, so Brown, they haven't updated the Cubs top 30, right. but they have the overall top 100. Brown is 99 and none of those other guys are are in the top 100, except for Horton. So that means that Brown, I think, is the number two. Now. Yeah. What do they have Ferris as? Let me go back. Ferris is two. Uh, he's eight. So he's, he's eight. yeah, so the fourth guy. Is D, what's, is uh, DJ Hers on there? Yeah, 16th overall for the 16th. Cubs. Okay. So I think that there are far more pitchers uh, who have potential to be, you know, legitimate rotation guys um, than there were then. And like you said, they have more. They don't have quite the top uh, end that they had, but they do have more. Um, strength in numbers. They have greater strength in numbers. And I think that potentially that means like what you said, some packages might go out or just kind of making some moves um, and figure out. But the other thing is, look, is as high as I am on some of these guys, we know that the prospect hit rate that we saw with the last batch of guys is an anomaly. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you have, five good pitching prospects uh, that might end up being two good rotation guys if you're lucky. Um, and if you have 15 good hitting prospects, you know, you'd be lucky to get a half of a lineup uh, out of those guys. So we'll see how this goes through. But I do think that with their core, that this could be a very good and very well-balanced team. Um, where you have guys who are adding a lot of defensive value uh, with guys who are bat first. Um, and you have some guys who are power guys and some guys who are more contact oriented, some guys who are more speed oriented. I think that potentially um, there's a lot to be excited about with this group. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of them up in the majors.
And then that also hasn't even touched on if they decide Strowman is available at the deadline, if Bellinger is available at the deadline. Those are obviously two pieces that could, you know, really, really enhance this, especially if Strowman is available. He's pitching like one of the best, you know, pitchers in baseball. If that if if you dangle him, that you're only gonna, you know, improve this this core. Um of prospects, but it's good that that you're optimistic because coming in, I I wasn't sure you know quite what to make of these guys. Um, you know, it was a lot like I said at the beginning, a lot of guys that seemed solid, but no one that was other than PCA that was really really taking my breath away. So um, it's good in a month that's been so negative um, up in the majors that that you're optimistic about about what's going on um, in in the farm. Certainly down in Tennessee, and I'm supposed to go there uh, like the third week of August. Uh, hopefully, well, it's a mixed bag. I'm hoping to see some of these guys uh, again, but obviously I'm not going to be upset if they've uh, performed well enough to either be moved all the way up or at least there in Iowa. So we'll see uh, how that goes for me. Uh, I think that is all we have for today. I feel like this is like four hours long. I hope I don't, yeah, this, I don't is, this is a long one. We might have, to, might have to cut out all the Bulls talk at the beginning. Uh, thank you for listening to the Stark and Cope Chicago Sports Show. Join us again next week where we're going to pivot maybe back to the Bears. I well, I wanted to do that draft. I wanted to do our, oh. our favorite Chicago athletes. All right. This is Noah's. Uh, this is noticing what's it going to be, you know, our, our, yeah, our all time favorite Chicago athletes, you know, getting into, you know, summer where, you know, the, the finals just finished up hockey, just finished up as, as we were recording. And so you got to get kind of creative with, with the content. And so I was thinking we should, you know, we have two different perspectives as, as Chicago fans. And I think our, our draft boards will look a lot different, but who our all-time favorite Chicago athletes were. And that doesn't mean who the best. It's not like Michael Jordan going 1-1. One, one, one. It's who to us you know, has, has a special place in our hearts as, as Chicago sports athletes. All right, I like it. All right, that's what we're going to do next week. Thank you, everybody. Yep, thanks, guys. 